All right, let's uh, take our Bibles. We will turn to Philippians chapter 4. And in the text this morning, we are going to be concluding our study in the book of Philippians. Just looking forward, uh, after the first of the year, we're going to begin a new series, and that's going to be on the book of Judges. So I look forward to our time in the Word of God as we look back into uh, the Old Testament and look at the period of the Judges. But right now, we're going to conclude this series on getting your mind right. And as we come to the concluding thoughts of Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, we find a text that talks to us about having right thinking concerning contentment. Contentment. That's a rare commodity, isn't it? When we look at this time of year, contentment isn't the first word that comes to mind. Often what we think of during this time of year is pressure. I have the pressure of getting a million things done so that we can have the perfect family gathering, even though my family is absolutely dysfunctional. I want it to be like one of those Hallmark holiday specials (laughs) where the family that's feuding and having Real dysfunction comes together, and it's the best Christmas ever. We feel this pressure to be content during this time of year, and for many people, the picture of what they hope for and what they want is the opposite of what they experience. We find that a time that could be a time of real joy and celebration turns into a time of discontent not contentment. And here's the secret. If you aren't content going into Christmas, you won't be content once it comes. Look at all of the marketing geared towards saying, if you really want happiness and contentment, ask for this gift. If you want to see true joy on the face of your loved one, just send them this gift. All of that marketing, all of that thought process brings about the idea that circumstances and possessions drive our contentment. And when we look in the Word of God, we find that nothing could be further from the truth. So what we want to do this morning is, first of all, look to the secret to contentment. And that is shared with us right here in the Word of God, Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 10. And what we find first in verses 10 through 12 is this. Situation can never dictate contentment. Look at what the Scripture says. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. Now, here, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Philippi. And what he's sharing with the church of Philippi is this. You have been supporters of my work in the ministry, and now, even as I am in prison for the faith, you continue to support me. You see, when the Apostle Paul was under house arrest, something that we often forget is that in the Roman system, when a person was under house arrest, guess what? Their lodging, their food, none of those things were provided for them. They had to provide for themselves. They had to rent a property, 
They had to feed themselves. They had to take care of all of the necessary items of life. So, when the Apostle Paul was imprisoned, what did the church of Philippi do? They stepped up. They looked and they said, here is our brother, our apostle, our leader in need. We'll come through for him. We'll minister to his need. We will send gifts. We will send the solution to his needs through Epaphroditus. We will care for him. This is what God, I think, wants us to do as a church family. He wants us to recognize need in one another, and then without even asking, give to that need. The Apostle Paul was experiencing that, and he was thankful for what they were bringing to him. He was experiencing the love of a church who was able to once again give to him because in the past, sometimes they had opportunity to do so and sometimes they didn't. Isn't it great to know that when we have a church family, we have those who will come alongside us, who will help us, and sometimes they have opportunity to do it and sometimes they don't have the means to help us, but even when they don't give to us materially, we know that they're pulling for us. We know that we're on their hearts and on their minds, and that ministers to us. This is what Paul was communicating to the church at Philippi, both by physical needs being met and by your concern for me. My cup is full. I feel blessed. Now look at verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, now, listen to this part. It's crucial. I have learned in whatever situation to be content. Now, to me, this is a powerful verse that often gets overlooked. Contentment is not driven by our circumstances. There has to be a focal point that is constant because our circumstances and our situations are always under change, always under flux. They never remain the same, do they? Sometimes those circumstances are circumstances that bring real joy into our lives, and sometimes they're a struggle, and they're hurtful, and they're painful, and they're tough to navigate. But the Apostle Paul says, whatever situation I'm in, I have learned to be content. Now that brings an important question. What does contentment mean? Contentment carries with it the idea of possessing fortitude, the word that's used in the original language. It has the idea of inner resolve. In other words, it's hanging tough, staying the course, what we saw last week as we were looking into the Word of God, standing firm. It is staying on that course no matter what. Circumstances come, circumstances go, we stay on course, filled up with all the fullness of God, not dependent on the circumstances that are around us. But notice in that 11th verse, when Paul talks about contentment, he says, I have learned to be content no matter what the circumstances. You know something? Contentment is not normal. 
It doesn't come naturally to us as human beings. We're always looking for something to fill whatever feeling of longing or desire that we have. And we're hoping that something, some experience, some person will be able to, to fill that longing. But what we have to learn is that isn't the key to experiencing fulfillment and contentment and that ability to stay the course. Circumstances, people, all of those things are going to change. There has to be a constant in our life. Look with me at the 12th verse. Verse 12 goes on to say this, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, do you see what the Apostle Paul is doing? He's, he's showing to us stark contrasts. He had learned to experience contentment. He had found its secret in ease in abundance, in good things. Now, probably most of us are looking at that and saying, well, of course you can be content when things are going well. Really? Don't you find that sometimes when things are going really great, it is so easy to fall into complacency. Contentment becomes complacency. And during those times of abundance... We forget our compass. We forget the one who provided those blessings to us, God. And we absolutely become complacent. Now, during the times of need, sometimes we can feel abandoned, lonely, hopeless. We wonder, does anyone care? Does God care? And we can feel that sense of longing, I need to have my needs met. I I need to experience peace in my life, and it's just not there. What the Apostle Paul said was, I've learned how to find contentment in that place too. Bear in mind, as Paul writes this, chained to a guard, under house arrest, awaiting a trial that determines his life, whether he's executed or delivered. All of that's going on as he writes, I have learned the secret of contentment. So what is that secret? As we move on the text, we find that the secret to contentment is being strengthened through Christ. The 13th verse, a brief verse, but one I assure you you've heard if you've heard any messages on the book of Philippians You've probably heard someone share this thought. Maybe you've seen it on a card. Maybe you've heard someone utter it. And it goes like this. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, this verse is sometimes misinterpreted. They think in terms of I can accomplish all things through Christ who gives me strength. And listen, while that may be true, that's not what this text is really pointing us toward. We would better translate it with this idea. I can endure all things through Christ who gives me strength. 
I can endure plenty. I can endure less. I can endure it all because the focal point of my life, the provision for what I need is found in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul didn't have to wait for the Philippian church to renew their concern for him. He didn't have to wait and wonder, where is my next meal coming from? He could be content in the fact that Jesus Christ strengthens me through this circumstance. So if I'm in a good circumstance, He will give me the strength to not become complacent as I focus on Him. If I'm in a difficult circumstance, He will give me the strength to make it through this trying time. And there's a purpose behind it and a God who is behind it, and I can trust in His strength. Jesus Christ strengthens us. You know, there's a passage in 2 Corinthians that reminds us of this. In this text, the Apostle Paul relates to the people at Corinth that he had a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan who was buffeting him. Remember, buffet means to hit repeatedly, kind of like a boxer on a speed bag. That's the image that Paul gives of his life at that point. And what we find is he asks Christ to remove it from him. And here's the secret to contentment that Christ gives him. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so what was Paul's response? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Listen, if I'm looking at my circumstances and my situations, if I'm looking at my disappointments, I will lose perspective. I will forget that it's Jesus Christ who strengthens me. And if He has brought this into my life, it has been brought into my life for a purpose, and it will train me in what it is to be dependent on Him and not on the circumstances and situations that are always in flux. I need to keep my eyes on Jesus. Then we go to the next part of this text. And what the Apostle Paul reminds us of as we come to verse 14 is the supply of God for all of our needs. Look at verse 14. and In verses 14 through 16, the Apostle Paul talks about how, again, the church of Philippi had shared in his struggles. In verse 14, it says this, Yes, it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except only you. So here's a faithful church, a faithful body of believers, and they were engaging in partnership in Paul's ministry by supporting the work of the Lord. Here, the eternal Word of God is reminding us of the importance of supporting the work of the Lord. It's something that God holds up as an example. So this church of Philippi, who was going through its own difficulty, its own struggle, was engaging in the needs of the Apostle Paul by giving to God's work and seeing that God's work would continue through the Apostle Paul as he's incarcerated. 
through the ministry of writing letters, through the ministry of sending people like Timothy and Epaphroditus, through many ministries, here is a faithful church that continues God's work. The Word of God is reminding us of the importance of this. Look at what else we find in verse 16. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So it wasn't a one-shot deal where the church at Philippi said, here's some money, I hope it works out for you. But they were partnering with him consistently, regularly, giving to the Lord's work, that the Lord's work might continue. Now, why am I sharing this? Because it's here in the Word of God. I'm not being self-serving. I'm not trying to make a point and say, give more to the church. What I'm doing is building a scriptural case for the idea that regularly giving to the Lord's work is a godly thing to do, a biblical thing to do, something that as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to do. So we should be consistent in it. We should be faithful in it. And here's why. As we go on in the text, it says that sacrificial giving honors and pleases God. Look at what we find as we come to the 17th verse. Paul says, not that I seek a gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And you know what he's saying? God doesn't need your money. If he doesn't get the money that I would give, in continuing his work, he'll get it somewhere else. God has all of the resources that we need. But the blessing in supporting God's work isn't to the work itself, it's to the individual who gives. That's the point of this passage of Scripture. The idea is this, as I give sacrificially to the work of the Lord, it is credited to my account. Do you see that there in the 17th verse? You know what it means that the fruit of it would be credited to their account? God considers those who give to the Lord's work as partnering with the people who are actually doing God's work, and they receive a spiritual reward, a blessing for partnering with others and giving toward that work. That's the idea. As far as God is concerned, you are in the trenches with those who are serving as you give in support of God's work. That's the idea. And so Paul was excited, not because he was saying, yeah, you know, I checked the mail every day to see if I got another check from Philippi. Not what he was doing. You know what he was doing? When he received a gift, he said, I'm so excited for the church of Philippi because here I know God is going to bless them for what they've done. Now, be very careful. This is not a, I will give so I will get proposition that I'm sharing. What I'm sharing with you is the way God views our giving. And the way God views it is, when we partner with someone else, God views that as us being involved in that work. Look at the 18th verse. In verse 18, the Apostle Paul says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent. So here, this is a thank you note, if you will, 
to the church at Philippi because they had sent through this faithful servant, Epaphroditus, a gift to minister to the Apostle Paul as he's imprisoned. But then, toward the end of that 18th verse, look at how this gift is described. First of all, it's described as a fragrant offering. Here, the Apostle Paul is returning us to the idea of how God views our faithful giving. And what we must first recognize is this. When I give faithfully, that is a fragrant offering to God. God receives that as worship. Think about what is entailed in sacrificial giving. The offering was something that was offered to God because we want to praise Him by taking something that is tangible and that is precious to us and giving it to God. The unseen. The untouchable. It's a huge step of faith to take something that I can hold, something that I can look at, something that's material, and offer it as praise to one who is immaterial. One that I can't see, that I can't touch. And when we do that, when we take that step of faith, that's something that's fragrant to God. God views that with pleasure. So as a follower of Jesus Christ, part of what I'm to do is to give to God in that way. To embrace the idea of worshiping Him through the material things that He's given me. Something else. The offering that was given. When an offering was given in the Old Testament, it wasn't that the follower, the person who was giving the offering, was saying, okay, I'm giving you something here. It was, you know what? God gave this to me, and I am a steward of what He has given me. So my giving to God is my saying, God, all of this belongs to you. And as a manager and a steward, I am giving to you what is already yours. But I'm not holding on to it. I'm not saying this is mine. I'm saying this is already yours. And I want to bless you with it. I want to worship you with it. I want to give in this way. That's what a fragrant offering is as we give to God. Look at how else it's described. It is a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So a fragrant offering, a sacrifice that's acceptable to God, it's pleasing to Him. We need to view our giving in this way. Not as, okay, this is mechanical and road, it's the first of the month, okay God, you get 10%, here you go. And now forget about it. But looking at it and saying, God, I do this as worship to you. If you notice in our bulletins, when it's time for our offering, we say worship through giving. That's by design. There's a purpose behind that. We are giving to God in a way that is acceptable and pleasing to Him. Final thought. So if I'm giving to God, what if I can't afford it? What if I look at it and I say, you know, this is stretching it. I'm not sure this is something I really want to do. Look at the last part of this passage, verse 19. My God 
will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You can't outgive God. God will supply your every need. You know, something that, that Paula and I have noticed through the years is as we do sacrificial things in serving God and in giving, God opens the door for something that is a blessing that we would have never anticipated and God provides. When the scripture says in this text, my God will supply all of your needs, God is promising to supply our needs. And we can count on God in that. It's a promise that we find right here in scripture. But look at the next phrase, after my God will supply all of your needs, he goes, according to his riches in Christ Jesus. You know what that word according to means? In proportion to. It's a relational term that tells us that God will so abundantly supply for our needs that He does it in comparison to all of the riches that He has in Christ Jesus, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that He is Lord to the glory of God. Chapter 2, God gives to us, supplying our needs that we might supply the needs of others. That's the perspective that God calls us to have when it comes to contentment. You see, if I make material things the source of my contentment, then when I go through periods of want, I won't have contentment. But if I look at it and say, this is God's, this belongs to Him, I will be a steward of what He has entrusted to me, and in obedience I will give to Him worshipfully, trusting Him to supply my needs, then God does amazing things. And we get to experience the wonder of how God provides. Now, sometimes God provides materially, but sometimes He provides in other ways, blessing us with things that we don't count on. God provides for all of our needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This morning we've seen the importance of contentment. As we've looked at these closing thoughts in the book of Philippians, Paul addresses getting our mind right about probably one of the most difficult things for us to manage, and that is our material possessions and the thoughts of what belongs to us and what doesn't. So let me encourage you this morning. Think about all that we've looked through in the book of Philippians. Think of how we are to have that mind that is directed toward the furtherance of the gospel. Think of how we're to have that servant mind, that servant heart that we saw in the second chapter. Think of how we're to have that secure mind that rests in the work of Jesus Christ where He transforms us internally to make us change outwardly, the third chapter. And then think of that mind that rests in the provision of God and that mind that is free of worry as we focus on the God who guards our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus, chapter 4. We can have a secure, firm, strong life as we get our minds right about these things. 
So review these thoughts. Think about the book of Philippians throughout the course of this holiday and throughout the course of the year. Remember, it is God who gives you the ability to endure all things and supplies your every need. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for the reminder that it is to us that we are to be faithful in entrusting all that we have to you and managing it as good stewards. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.